looking at the concept of the heart of the home, the heart of the home, giving a little illustration of Israel and how Israel perceived the Ark of the Covenant and how the Ark of the Covenant was really the heart of Israel. And it was a very serious thing to them to have that Ark of the Covenant in its proper place. Of course, later on, you'll find that when Eli was a high priest and his sons took the Ark of the Covenant uh, to battle, uh, they really weren't trusting the Lord. They weren't walking with God. And therefore, the Ark of the Covenant got taken. And so they lost their heart for God. And so we don't want to be like that. You know, the Lord wants us to have it back. And he works at that. And of course, even when the, the Ark of the Covenant was in the possession of the Philistines, they couldn't handle that heart. It, uh, it didn't fit them. <laughs> Amen. And so the Lord uh, gave them diseases until they let it go. And they put it on an ox cart. And that ox cart took it back right to Israel because the Lord wants you to have your heart for him. Amen. And so it's a good illustration for us. But in Proverbs 4.23... It says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so keeping is guarding. It's a very important thing. Proverbs has some 78 passages that deal with heart, and only a couple that deal with the mind. And yet, some people say, well, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. Well, it's far worse to waste your heart than waste your mind. I mean, don't waste your mind. (laughs) But even a person with a mind that has been wasted can still have a heart for God. Amen? And so we need to uh, make a big deal about this in the scripture. When it came to uh, anointing a king for Israel, uh, God did not look on the outward stature. The Bible says that he looked on the heart. And that's what determined the next king for Israel. And so that was very important. We looked at how the heart is a place of communion with God and how that it's at the center of the, the, um, the tabernacle. And they would go in once a year. That's where they'd commune with God. That's where God would meet with them and give his mercy uh, for the sins that they had committed during the year. And that's the same way we operate. Uh, folks, if, you've, if you don't spend time uh, just on your face before God, realizing your need of him every day you truly aren't living your life the way that you ought to uh you know i like to say that we all have it all together and we don't need god but we we do we are designed to need god we need him every day we need him when we get up in the morning we need him when we go to bed at night we need him throughout the day and we need him when those pressures and those things pile up on you you've got to cry out to him uh, you know, this week I spent some time in the Psalms and my wife had told me, you wanted to read the Psalms because I was just going through some things and thinking through some things. And I did that. And I tell you, it didn't take much just to grab on to what God was saying. And I just said, Lord, this is what I need right now. And you know what he did? He just lifted, lifted me up. I mean, what a God we have. Amen. I can't even explain it, <laughs> but that's how good he is. And so I just want you to know that is as hard as it is sometimes, uh, get your heart towards God. You may think, well, I'm not worthy to even get in God's presence. Well, then you're ready. <laughs> Amen. Then you're ready to meet God because that's the way we have to meet God. We can't meet him worthy. We have to meet him as a sinner, realizing that we need him. We need his mercy every moment of the day. And you know what? And he will meet with you 
and he will minister directly to your heart. And you can't even explain the difference that it makes in your life, but it just does. Amen. And there's no theological explanation for how he does that. (laughs) You know, that is part of him. This is, I am God. And this is what I do for my people because I love you. Amen. And so, so important to get our hearts with God, no matter what you feel about yourself, no matter what you've gone through, no matter how hard it is, just keep your heart on God. And you know what? You don't understand it, but just do it. (laughs) And if you're low and you're going through something, go to the Psalms and just start reading through and and let God minister to you and he will take care of your needs. Amen. Because the needs that we have are not financial. Amen. That's the least of our problems, really. (laughs) The greatest needs we have are right there, right in our heart, right in our mind. And so we looked at the things that our heart does. Faith is built on the heart. Meditation occurs in our heart. Love comes from our heart. And our actions are produced from the heart as well. And my second point I'm going to today is our heart will lead our family. Think about this for a second. The Bible says in Matthew 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This, I think, is such an important thing for us to consider uh, as parents in the home, as leaders uh, to our children. We have to ask ourselves, where is my treasure? What is my treasure? Because whatever that treasure is, that's where I'm leading my family. Amen. That's why many today, they make their treasure uh, a career. They make their treasure finances. They make their treasure success. And you know what the kids learn? You know what they're aimed towards? Those things. Uh, I know people that they put all their emphasis on education. And I'm for education, but it's not a treasure. It's not a treasure. Uh, Because if you make education your treasure, what you're going to do is you are going to violate principle to get to that particular point that you're aiming at. So you can't have that as your treasure. So I think it's just very important uh, that we teach our kids what true treasure really is. And that treasure has to be the Lord in our life. We have to teach our kids. Kids, you know, sometimes I get unbalanced. Sometimes I maybe put too much attention this way or that way. But ultimately, I want to lead you towards the Lord. This is what it's all about. It's not about us being the richest family on the block. It's not about us being the smartest family on the block. But I surely want to be a family of faith and trusting God. And so that's vitally important that we lead our family like God is our treasure. When Joshua followed God's leadership, uh, when they went into the land, he sent the ark ahead of the people to open the way into the promised land. And you think about that. That promised land in the scripture is a picture of the will of God for our life. It's not a picture of heaven, (laughs) you know. Heaven, there's no battles in heaven. You don't have to fight for heaven. Uh, But it is the will of God. And the will of God has to be fought for. And if you want the will of God, you've got to get the things out of those boundaries that are hindering you from taking the will of God and fulfilling the will of God. And so in order to enter into the will of God, we've got to have the ark going first. We've got to have, we've got to be following God into that will. And I, and I feel sorry for us sometimes because our families, our children, they don't know what they're entering into. What am I leading them into? What, what are they really seeking to occupy in their life? You know, 
And when they get there, what are they doing there? <laughs> you know, is it just about building a bank account? Is it just about <laughs> being able to buy the toys and the boats and the cars? And, or just maybe just to be happy living in a home, having a nice home? Those are, I'm not against those things. You can buy me a boat if you want. <laughs> but you know, uh, that's not the will of God. Those are things that God may bless for you. Uh, and give you things, but that's not the focus of the will of God for our life. None of those things. Uh, we need to focus on doing what the Lord wants us to do. So do we direct our children into the promised land by faith? And so that we just do what we can do. I, I understand this. Uh, Samuel was a great prophet of God, and uh, he was really the first true prophet uh, in the scripture where God used that office for what he designed it to be as the conscience to the king. And that's why the Lord brought the prophet age in. They had judges, and the judges would go and defend the people, but then they wanted a king. So what the Lord did is, okay, if you want a king, that's not necessarily my will, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise up a prophet to be that thorn in his side to make sure he's listening to what I say, you know? And that's why Samuel was brought on the scene. <clears throat> and we know Samuel, at the end of his life, um, and I just read this a short time ago, how he went to the people and he's about ready to die. And he says, okay, which one of you have I taken anything and not returned? Uh, which one of you have I done anything that I need to get right? And none of them said anything. In other words, he had a perfect testimony when he died. And yet they came to him and said, Samuel, your sons, they're not living like you. Isn't that something? You know, I'm going to tell you something here. Uh, I would love to say that my kids will just do right because I want them to. <laughs> but that is not the case. So, uh, you, you do what you can to make that happen. I mean, we can't just say, oh, well, it has nothing to do with me. Yeah, well, yes, it does. We need to give them the tools. We need to give them the, the treasure all those things we have to put before them. But yet, when it comes down to it, don't be deceived that every man has a choice of their own. Every man will choose. They'll choose for themselves. You know what I mean? All I know is, is if I do my best and try to teach them the right thing, when it comes down to it, and if they have chosen the wrong thing and hit the bottom and not doing right, that those things that we put before them will always be there so that when that time comes, they'll say, you know what, there is a better way and I'm going to go back. And that's what it means to train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they shall not depart from it. Amen. It's always there. It's a powerful thing to put the Bible truth into the hearts of children uh, from a father and a mother. I mean, they may say, well, I'm going to go here for a while. And you may say, don't do that. And you may take your stand against it, you know. But yet, uh, when it comes down to it, that stuff is still there. And that's what we need to make sure that it's there. Let's not give them the wrong treasure. Let's not lead them in the wrong direction. Let's teach them what the will of God is. Joshua 3, 6, it says, And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And we know, the, we know the whole scene there where the priest took that ark and God wanted them to cross over 
and he would not cross or part the Jordan River until that foot was placed into that river. Amen. And when they did, he parted it. They walked to the bottom and they stayed there. I got a message on that. I'll maybe not give you too much. I'll preach that next time, maybe tonight. And so, um, and so it's very important to see that in order to get into the will of God, that the heart of God has to be there. Our treasure has to be there. He has to be before us. If God is not leading our decisions, folks, I'm not just talking big decisions. I'm talking little decisions. I'm talking about your everyday decisions. I'm talking about where you go, who you connect with, how you do it, what you say. I'm talking about uh, what kind of job I have, uh, the, the priority of church in my life, all the different things, the word of God, my own personal time with God, all those decisions have to be made. And that'll only be made if we put God as our treasure in our life. Amen. Very important point. I thought that was very good. Uh, my next point is our hearts must be protected by godly influences. They must be protected. So keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. That means Whatever it is that I'm allowing into my heart, whatever influences I'm allowing in, that will dictate my response. Amen? Whatever goes in, that's what's going to come out. The Bible says, what goes into a man comes out of the man. Or what's in a man comes out of the man. And so basically, I have to be very careful how I influence my thinking, how I influence my heart. We have to think about that with our kids. What are they doing? What are they watching? What are they you know, involved with? These different things are very vital for this. Uh, here's that verse in Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So we can put on a show. I can put on a show, but it's not about what I am here telling you. It's what I am when I'm in my quiet time and how I'm thinking in that quiet. That's who I am. And that's what I am. And so I got to make sure that it, even though nobody would know what I am involved with, what I'm doing, that I say, you know what, even though nobody would know, I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to do right because I've got a heart for God. And that's where you just say, you know, I'm not going to look at that on my phone. I'm not going to watch that program. You know, I'm not going to be involved with that situation. That's every individual decision. Uh, us as parents, <clears throat> we need to make that choice. Our children... We have to make that for them <laughs> so that they make the right choice because we don't want to flood their hearts uh, full of the world and then later have to deal with the repercussions of that. And then we're on our face before God. God, what happened? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know what happened. There was too much involved in their hearts. Too much of the world got in there. And so we got to do our best to protect them from that. And I'm not doing that to rebuke anybody. I'm just saying this is just, folks, this is just good advice and good wisdom for God's people. Amen. Some of that way is scripture. Um, uh, we, we need to have the word of God uh, as a part of our lives with our children. We need to read it with them. We need to have time, a uh, Bible time with them. Amen. We need to tell them. You can ask my boys. I get up in the morning. I see them on the laptop or whatever. You guys read your Bible? They know immediately. I'm not going to argue with that. They close it up, <laughs> you know. Or they'll say, I did, Dad. This is, well, then carry on, <laughs> you know. But, you know, we got, we got to be the ones that keep them in check on whether they're reading their Bible or not. 
You say, well, they'll choose what they want. They will, but I'm going to choose right now to, to help them. Amen. And when the time comes, uh, when they're on their own, under their own family structure, uh, because folks, that's when people are obligated to God himself. There's a time where it's children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, that it may be well with thee, that the days may be long upon the earth. We know that. But then there comes a time where it's just honor thy father and thy mother. And that's when I'm out of the home. Then I value. Then I look up to them. I don't devalue them. I spend time lifting them up. And I've learned this in my life. You know, there's a, you know when you're young, you're always saying, oh, mom and dad, they don't know anything. And dad thinks he's so smart. You know, <laughs> I grew up. <laughs> you know what I figured out? My dad's a pretty smart guy, you know, and I look up to him uh, probably higher than any other person in my life. He is so important to me, you know. I want to honor him. I honor uh, my wife's dad. He is so important to me. And I, anybody that takes him on, I'm there, man. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm there. Uh, I will not let that happen because I protect my mo- mother and father. Amen. I love them a lot. And that's the way we ought to be valuing our parents. Don't ever devalue them. They not be, may not be right. Sometimes they may not give you the right advice, you know, but I still value that. I don't demean them or disrespect them because of that. Uh, but if I have my own home structure and I've, like the Bible says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. At that point... They are now under their own family structure, and that husband has be- taken the place of the father. Amen? That's why in the wedding ceremony, what will happen is, when the father walks the daughter down the aisle, he will actually meet the groom at the front and pass over that daughter into the hands of that groom. That's symbolic of a, of a passing over of authority. But that daughter is never not under authority and never not under protection. And that's why you got to make sure that that whippersnapper there, that groom, (laughs) amen, is worthy of that protection role. And that's why for my daughters, you you better be a protector, (laughs) amen. That's all I'm saying. And you do the same thing. One of my boys want to date your daughter, (laughs) you make sure he's a protector. You don't just say, well, just because he's a pastor's son. No. You look at their character. You look at, are they going to take care of my daughter? Are they going to protect her? Are they going to lead her into truth? Amen. Where's their treasure? Why in the world do we sell out our family? Amen. And then when that happens, then we ought to um, look at that father and say, okay, I trust your opinion in this. Uh, then dad says, I don't think this is right for you. Okay, <laughs> let's turn to the Lord here. <laughs> let's trust him to take care of this. There's a lot of weight on daddy's shoulder, isn't there? <laughs> you know, really. And so very important stuff. And so the word of God is so important. We got to follow the scripture. Even it's what I just told you. That's all scriptural basis. That's all Bible. That is all Bible philosophy that should guide all of our decisions in life. Amen. And then the second thing is godly music. Godly music. You know, 
right these days you turn on YouTube, you do this, that, or man, you got stuff popping up all the time. I've heard something the other day. So what in the world is that? <laughs> oh, that's no, just a commercial. I don't care what it is. Just turn it off. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't want that stuff piping in my home. Really? I mean, I hate it. You're watching, if you want to watch a movie or something, and all of a sudden they got this rock music. I hate that. And folks, I was a rock musician. I know the stuff, <laughs> you know. But it's not good for you. We can't have that just going on all the time in our lives. I understand it, it happens, and you know, but let's turn it off. Let's turn that down. <laughs> let's not let it penetrate the hearts of our kids. Amen. And let's get some good music in there. Sometimes when you feel your home is, is in chaos, you ever feel that way? <laughs> yeah, you know, I do. You know, it's good sometimes. Just put on some good godly music. It's amazing how that'll just settle down. And, you know, sometimes it's not even necessarily the hymns and so forth. Sometimes even good, principled, classical music can settle a home. Sometimes it prepare kids for learning. Uh, classical music organizes the brain. I mean, not all of it. There's some classical music I wouldn't let my kids want to listen to because the principles are being violated. It's too dark. It's too, it, it doesn't send the right message. Amen? But there's some very good organized, good music because God created music. He created the structure of it. He created the mathematics of it. He created what it was supposed to communicate. And so in the music itself... It has power without words. Amen? It reflects something. Now, godly music, stuff that we say, well, this is what I use to worship God with, that's going to be a step above that. We're supposed to reflect the glory of God in the music that we use to glorify God. We don't use the glory of the world to glorify God. (laughs) We use the glory of God to glorify God. And so what we say is scriptural. What we sing is scriptural. And folks, the stuff out there, it's like people don't even care if it's scriptural. They're singing, they're just rocking along, praising Jesus. But if you look at the songs and the words, they're not even Bible. He's not standing up there saying, oh, I love that. (laughs) He is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It has to be truth. Amen. And the music itself is reflecting his holiness. Praise him according to his holiness. According is in same measure too. See, does that music really reflect the holiness of God? Well, how can I use a rock song? The word rock and roll, friends, it's talking about the sexual act. That's not holiness. Amen. We've got to get that through our heads. We've got to stop justifying just because our flesh likes something. Folks, you want to talk about flesh? There's stuff my flesh likes. I was a musician for years and years and there was music I loved. But when it came down to my choice to serving God and to doing right and to making the right choices, I knew I had to remove some things from my life because it was influencing me. But to this day, if a song like that would play that I used to love, my flesh, oh, I like that. So I say, well, then you're going off. (laughs) Because I'm not here to please the flesh. I'm here to live and walk in the Spirit. Amen? 
So don't pretend that you're so holy, Joe, that nothing ever bothers you or your flesh doesn't say, oh, I like that. (laughs) When people start talking like that and saying you're deceived and you're setting yourself up for a fall. Take heed, lest he that thinketh he standeth shall fall. Amen. We're not that good. (laughs) We're not that great. We need to protect our homes. We need to look at what's influencing our families. And that's because we've got problems. Our heart is a very tender thing. And if that heart gets set off of God, God has no more access. And now the world has access. And that's our greatest danger for our kids. If their heart is not on God, oh, what heartbreaks are in their future. What are they going to do when they choose a mate for their life? Well, who are they going to choose? If their heart's not on God, you tell me that. Well, I'll tell you one thing. They will not care if that person's heart's on God. My thing is, well, if your heart's not on God, then how do you know that person's going to be there for you when things go sideways? What if something were to happen and you got put in a situation where maybe you were paralyzed or maybe you got sick Would this person have the integrity and scriptural principle to hold them in that God-given position? Because it's not about feelings or, oh, now I don't like this anymore. It's about, thus saith the Lord, man. (laughs) When you say, I do, that's done. Amen. That's a vow before God. And the Bible says, if thou vowest a vow, defer not to pay it. Amen. That's my position. That's a biblical position. (laughs) Amen. Prayer. We need to pray with our kids. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so we need to make a big deal about prayer. Where do we go when we're hurting. I remember one time, this was, I think it was even before I had been saved. When I was in my early 20s, or late, I can't even remember. That's too long ago. (laughs) Amen. I remember I had a hard week. I was just battling in my mind because I just wasn't right. I wasn't right. And I came home and my mother looked at me, says, you don't have peace. I looked at her, you know, I didn't know what to say to that. And she sat me down and she said, I'm going to pray for you. And she prayed for me. And I tell you, that changed everything. You know, I could have been worrying about what about my future? I could have been, I don't forget what it was, uh, my job, uh, my finances. You know, that was not what she needed to pray for. The Bible says right here, it says, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything ever. Boy, I wish I could live that every day, you know. But it says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts, guard your hearts. The Bible says, and mine's through Christ Jesus. So what's going to keep my heart knowing that I got a paycheck? 
what is going to make the difference on how your heart is protected? Is it going to be whether all your bills are paid this month? Oh, the bills are paid. Oh, great. Life is good. Well, what about next month? (laughs) You know, that's no way to live. Because you just don't know. Uh, Is it you got peace or you, yeah, everything's great if if I've just got my health. And, And health is important and we should be grateful for that. But is that what's keeping us going forward? No, it's God giving us peace in the midst of a storm. There was this art um, contest, and the whole thing was that they were supposed to try to portray in their painting the very simple uh, concept of peace. And so many people would paint something just peaceful and serene, and that's what the world does. You know, they picture yourself on a lake. (laughs) You know, everything's just perfect. That's That's not biblical at all. And one, the one that won was someone who painted a, uh, a waterfall that was, had all, just, it was just a, a chaotic thing that was happening. With water spraying everywhere, pounding waves and all that kind of stuff. And out of that waterfall, there was a branch. And on that branch was a nest with a bird in it, sitting there. See, folks, that's what peace is. Peace is not taming the waterfalls. Even though, sure, it's great to have all the waterfalls tamed sometimes. And there's times where the Lord does bring us to the, you know. But just because the waterfalls come doesn't mean we can't have peace. Amen? And that's what this verse is about. He says, in, it talks about, uh, be careful for nothing. That coincides with Matthew chapter 6 where he says, take no thought for your life. How many thoughts should I take for my life? <laughs> Not a single one. <laughs> now, I know thoughts come. So you can't feel bad that a thought will come, that you'll maybe wrestle through it a little bit. But the Bible says, don't take it. When that thought comes, and the devil tries to get you to be grabbing onto that and worrying all day long. You say, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to possess that thought. I'm going to let that thought uh, control my, my heart today. And that's where you say, Lord, take this thought and bring it into captivity. Take it away, Lord. I know this is not of you. You told me, take no thought. And you would never give me a thought like that. This is not of you. And so you're going to take it, Lord, please. And you know what he does? He takes it. Make sure you replace it with something scriptural, Bible. Amen. And bring a Bible verse in there. Maybe something like this. Memorize that and have it ready to go in this process of this battle when you're fighting these thoughts throughout the day. Because it happens to all of us, does it not? Or am I the only one? Or is that verse only for me? <laughs> no, it's all for all of us, isn't it? And so prayer, letter D is in, in this, or the fourth thing is church is so vital. Uh, I, I, it's hard, you know, uh, we're planning a church here in Airdrie. It's amazing the different philosophies that people have about what a church really is. There's people way on that side. There's people way on that side. Uh, I'm just interested in what it's supposed to be. Amen. And you know what? The church isn't a place that is supposed to control your life. I'm not here to, you know, whack you over the head every time I see you. That's not what it's about. This is a place of instruction. This is a place where you can get something from God 
where you can unify your family around the Word of God and develop a purpose for your life. And it's also a body where you can actually connect with people, not just, oh, we're just going to connect. It's about fulfilling God's purpose and understanding, I want to help this person, and we're going to aim towards this unified goal, and that's fulfilling the Great Commission. The Great Commission is going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and we do that together. Amen? And we teach that purpose to our kids. We say, this is our purpose on this earth right now. Your money will waste. Your cars will rust. But I'll tell you, the things that you, the people you win to Christ, they will go on forever. And that's our future investment as a family. Amen? And so we come here to prepare our hearts and minds, to deal with the lies, because the lies are what hides the gospel from the lost. That's what it says, and look at, read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, because many times, even though we say we're Christians, because we have things we don't want to give up, we use the scriptures to defend our position. (laughs) So that's walking in craftiness, and that's handling the word of God deceitfully. Amen? That's why people will tell you, well, I drink alcohol because Jesus turned water into wine. (laughs) You know, that's handling the word of God deceitfully. That's not a true child of God. We don't say things like that. We say, really, have I ever read that account? Have I ever studied that account? Well, if I haven't, then shut your mouth, please, because you don't know a thing. Don't misuse, (laughs) you know. And then it says, if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost. So here we're spending our life justifying all of our errors and our sins that we like so much. And the Lord is saying, all you're doing is keeping me from shining my light through your life. And the gospel to your neighbor is hid. And your gospel to the community is hid. Because my people are not a transparent witness where the light can shine through them. Because of the lies. The clouds. Amen? Very important thing for us to consider. Church is very important. Um, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.22, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Amen? We got to say, uh, these people in my children's lives... Do they have a pure heart? Do they want a pure heart? Well, if they don't, what in the world are we doing? There's a reason why the Lord told the children of Israel, don't be marrying those heathen girls. That's a principle in scripture. (laughs) Because they'll steal your heart. That's what he said. Solomon had many wives, and you know what? They stole his heart to the place that he began to worship their gods and even sacrifice his own children to those gods. Say, I would never sacrifice my kid. We're doing it all the time. Maybe not that way, but we do. We sacrifice our kids to our lusts, to what our treasures are, to what our ambitions are, to what's important to me. We're, we're, We're handing them right over. Amen? There is a tie there with that. We've got to be very careful 
Please, let's keep the heart of our home on the Lord. Amen? And do what we need to do to make that happen. Um, Three characteristics of a godly heart. Hebrews 9 verse 3 says, And after the second veil, remember I talked about the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. There were three items within that Ark of the Covenant. Those three items are very important, and they represented different things. Aaron's rod represented submission to the authority of God, submitting ourselves to God's structure of doing things. Uh, when Korah wanted to be the boss, hey, I'm just as good as you. The Lord said, you all bring your rods, and we'll see who the boss is. <laughs> and so they all brought the rods. And out of Aaron's rod, what happened was, is the uh, almonds began to grow out of that dead stick. And they took that rod and they put it inside of the heart of Israel as a memorial of what God did that day. Amen? So we have to be careful. We all want to be the boss, folks. We are rebellious people. We all want to be in control. We never want to submit ourselves. It's a hard thing for us. Our sin nature is a terrible enemy (laughs) to us. But you know what? And I understand there are some authority that you say, man, I'm going to run from that because they're just hurting us. And I'm not talking about abuse here. (laughs) I mean, you do remove yourself from abuse. But you know, there is an order of things and we need to operate by that order. And not because one is more important than the other. Korah should have understood that. God says, you're just as important as Aaron. But I need to have a structure. I need to flow through this. And you have your part too because he had children underneath him. And because of his decision, they were also killed. Amen? So that submission has to take place. We need to trust in God's provision, that's a golden pot of supernatural manna that came down every day by God's <coughs> providential care. And we got to remember that. Don't ever worry or make decisions that take you away from the Lord due to the fact, I don't know if we'll have enough money. I don't know if I can pay the bills. So now we got to sell out on God and go our own way. <coughs> Folks, that is never what God requires of you. Money will never be the deciding factor to God. Amen. He says, I, have, I sent manna to Israel. When they walked for those 40 years, even though they were in that 40 years because of their disobedience, their shoes did not wear out. Their clothes did not wear out. I took care of them. Take no thought for your life. Amen. That's God's provision. We have to be careful. Um, third one is, Obedience to God's commands. The law of God was in there. There's a law, but remember it goes beyond just the law because there's a mercy seat on top. And that mercy seat is, we're not here just to to knock everybody down. We're here to fulfill God's will for our life, to live the way God wants us to. But you know what? We're doing that through the liberty of the Lord, through the dwelling of the Spirit of God, not just by following this rule or that rule. Amen. Got to be careful how we portray that to the people. And so obedience to God's command. So um, the last thing I just want you to see is, and we'll be done, is a merciful heart 
will be a, an approachable heart. And that's where God ultimately, in the Old Testament, it was not as approachable. I mean, one high priest a year would go in. And if he wasn't exactly right, I'll tell you something, that he would die on the spot. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, and he said, it is finished, that veil was rent from the top to the bottom, where there's no more division, where now every person can access the presence of God through his mercy. Amen. And that's why when I'm talking about mercy this morning, and so I don't want to get too much into this, but you know, it's so important for us to see that, that God is approachable, not because we're worthy of it. It's not because we're perfect. We're really not. <laughs> I have failed as a father. I have failed as a pastor. I have failed as a friend. I have failed as a church member. I have failed at all those things, and you have too, except the pastor maybe. <laughs> I got you on that one, you know. And so we need mercy. And the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 3, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. In Hebrews 10, 22, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In James 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. That means easy to approach, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, remember we talked about that, and without hypocrisy. Amen? That's the way of God. That's the way of God. And I think some of us have gotten a wrong view of that in Christianity. I look at that and say, Lord, that's what I'm supposed to be? Pure? Peaceable? Gentle? Easy to be entreated? Full of mercy? Good fruits? Without partiality? Without hypocrisy? Wow. Folks, we need to be different. God needs to control our hearts. And when he controls us, we're not going to get all offended and angry at everybody that disagrees with us. Amen? We're going to show mercy. Show mercy. Of our morning now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have about 10 minutes to, 12 minutes of fellowship here.